This evening's reading is Psalm 23 that can be found on page 555 of the Church Bibles. That's Psalm 23, page 555. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Naomi for reading that. Uh, We've got... We've got one of these Alexa things in our homes. Do you have some of those? You know, Google things, they're all, they're all the rage now, aren't they? Um, say the wake-up word. That's the terminology. Say the wake-up word, Alexa. And it comes to life, and you ask a question that gives an answer. In our, it's our little in-house guidance assistant. All sorts of questions we ask it. Uh, but we're going to be thinking next few weeks about the way God guides. We've even got, look, there's a, a box at the back for questions. If you've got questions you'd, you'd like to ask as we go along, and the third week we'll have time for a bit of Q&A, we think, if that would be helpful. But we're going to be thinking about this over the next few weeks, about the way God guides. And hang around Christians long enough, and you'll pick up the bewildering way guidance is talked about. You hear all sorts of phrases. Uh, God seemed to give me an open door. Well, I had a word from the Lord. Uh, we laid out a fleece and God confirmed it. God gave us a verse. Oh, I just felt God wanted me to do this or that. You, you hear those kind of things. And then you add to that uh, the bewildering number of decisions that we're faced with. Uh, you, you'll know this, won't you? I, what A-level should I choose? Which uni is right? Some of you might be thinking those things through. Uh, should I ask this girl out? Oh my goodness, what if I asked the wrong one out? Uh, what would happen then? Should I say yes to this guy? Or if I say yes to him, somebody might, better might come along in a couple of weeks. Should I move city, job, church? Should I marry? Should we adopt? Should we bottle feed? As parents, should we both be working? Do I continue with this treatment? Should we move to be closer to aging parents? There are all sorts of questions, isn't there? All sorts of decisions to make. How does God guide? And it's not a new thing. Like 500 years ago, Christians were writing about guidance back then too and even before. Although it seems they were less caught up with uh, finding guidance from God and they were writing much more about finding guidance to God. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Different way round to us, the way their thinking kind of worked. Part of the reason, I'm sure, is look, 500 years ago, you'd have probably lived your entire life in the same small town where you were born, and you'd marry one of the few just like available people who were there. (laughs) You'd have probably known them. 
Uh, since you were little, there wasn't many people to choose from. You had to just go on with it. And what would probably have been what your parents did to sorted on those kind of decisions, whatever your, your mom or dad were doing, that'd be what you were doing as well. We've got more choices, and we're looking for quick answers uh, to make the best decisions, and Alexa and Google give speedy answers. God seems slower, doesn't he? Still, James Petty, in his little book, I'll, I'll recommend a couple of books I've been reading, but in his little book on guidance, he, he says this, I, I wonder if today's lack of interest in guidance to God has resulted in a lot more questions about how to seek guidance from God. So it's why before we, we look in detail, and this is me sort of apologizing for the questions you might have come with tonight, before we look in detail at the way God guides, we're beginning with the God who guides. And we're starting with Psalm 23 that I hope you've, you've got open in front of you. I've got a couple of little headings. It, you might have it on the cards. I've changed them slightly. So the first heading is this. Look, God guides because he is sovereign. That's different to the cards if you've got in front of you. There's a slight irony that even trying to decide what headings to give, I couldn't quite make my mind up. Need some guidance there. But here's what we're thinking. You can adjust it if you're taking note. God guides because he is sovereign. I mean, that's the vision of the psalm. As Naomi read through it, I wonder if you thought that, and you know it well. This is, this is the first time, you might not have spotted this, this is the first time in the Psalms God is pictured as a shepherd. All sorts of other images used before in the Psalms up till now, as a king, as a rock, as a shield. But here's quite an intimate picture of a shepherd. The shepherds in those days, they'd, they'd live with the flock. They'd be the ones providing all sorts of things for them, protecting and guiding and guidance in this psalm, well, it's, it's unhindered. It's sovereign. You get that sense as you go through it. Look, let me mention a few things. The, the guidance here, it, it's beginning to end. Actually, it's, it's beginning to forever. Do you get that in verse 6, right at the end? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's also through good and evil. It's verses 3 and 4, if you've got those in front of you. There's, there's days with relaxing green pastures. But there's also darkness filled with genuine threat. This isn't Google Maps, this kind of guidance. This isn't Google Maps telling you how to avoid every problem on the journey. No, this guide takes you through problems. Uh, and it's also from defeat to triumphs. Uh, that's some of what's going on in verse 5. When I was in year 7, first year of secondary school, Brian Stewart said he was going to fight me after school. I have no idea to this day why he decided that. But he came up to me and said, I'm going to fight you after school. He was mean. Like He was, he was, he was mean to me. <laughs> And it wasn't even so much him. It was his brother in the fifth year who always backed him up. Uh, and the stories where he'd scratched his own name into his arm with the compass, you know, the point of the compass. Like, he was, he was hard. And they were going to fight me after school. This is what they said in the morning, sitting down to lunch. It's funny how you find you just don't want to eat anymore. It kind of robs you of your appetite. Someone's out to get you throws you off, doesn't it? Verse 5 hints at God's a guide who knows you'll have enemies. 
with a mean person at school. It can be in the workplace. Even sadly, in your own family, someone who's just out to get you. God's guiding to the point, though, verse 5, when one day you'll sit down at a table, safe and secure, and be able to feast, untroubled. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, And the guidance is well talked about in the psalm. It's inside and out. That's verse 3, that that little line where it says, he refreshes my soul. This is a guide who, who not only knows your circumstances, he knows your soul. He knows what's going on in the inside. And don't misread it, that, that little line. It's not so much he makes you feel better when you're sad. It's not that kind of sense of he refreshes my soul. No, it's, it's firmer than that. It's kind of saying he, he restores you. He restores you spiritually. He knows when even... Even when anyone else looking at you from the outside would think everything's okay, on the inside you've started to wander. You know the kind of thing when your parents say no to something and you say okay, but even though you don't say it out loud and it'd be appalling to say it out loud, inside the voice in your own head and heart says, I hate them. Or someone's let you down and they've said sorry, you give the external smile, but the grudge is held. Or what just presents from you as a kind of confidence and clarity in the way you relate to others, but really deep down is coming from a desire to always have your own way. Or it's you that's done something that's really wrong. You've done something really wrong And into your head comes a way to try and cover it up. Psalm 23 says, he knows your soul. It's quite a thought, isn't it, tonight? You sit here. Whatever else has been going on, whatever else anyone thinks, the God you meet in this psalm, he he knows your soul. This is a guide who is always pushing to guide you from that level. And it's constant. That's verse 5. Surely, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Now this is saying God gives unhindered guidance because he's sovereign. And it's one of the things as we get into this over the next few weeks where the Bible may just want to readjust our ideas because for many people, getting guidance from God, it it feels like something that's hard to get, that I've got to learn a special wake-up word, like one of those artificial intelligence devices in our homes. I've got to learn his wake-up word, like Alexa or Hey Google, before I'll get anything from him. But this says, no, if you think like that, you're not thinking like a Christian at all. That's not the God you meet here. No, God guides. God guides because he is sovereign. And his guidance is unhindered. And here's a thing to keep pondering. It's, it's even unhindered by you. What do we mean by that? In modern life, it kind of encourages us, doesn't it, to think this way, to think of ourselves as independent individuals with our ability to choose. We're at the center We'll go out there and find the information that we want. 
and then we'll use it for the purposes we've got in mind. But the kind of guidance you meet here, while it's personal, it shifts us out from the center. See, it's purposeful in a different way. Psalm 23 says to us, look, God guides because he is purposeful. That's verse 3, isn't it? God guides you for his sake. You get the sense of purpose at a couple of points as you read through this. There's a There's a confident destination already in mind at the end of the psalm, verse 6 again, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, But there's also a way of traveling in mind. And it has a, how would you put it? It has a kind of moral quality to it. Just look more carefully at verse 3. Towards the end of it, it says this, he he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I know this is a psalm, it's poetry, but you hold those ideas. Keep those two ideas in mind and you understand what it's saying. This God who guides, his purpose is to, is to bring you into a lasting relationship with himself. You dwell in his house one day and forever. And along the way, shape you with a transformed character. What it is telling is, look, he is not your assistant helping you to achieve your dreams. No, he's determined where you're going and the type of person you're to become on the way. And you need to keep that in view. Because this is saying whatever's happening in your life, good or bad, whether you're doing anything or not, if you're a Christian, he's always guiding you towards being part of his family home and at the same time to become someone who's learning to live, sharing his views of right and wrong. Now just pause there for a moment. And if you're looking down, just sit up. Because here's the kind of, I think, here's the noodly thing. Now, some things are a bit noodly as you start thinking about them. They, they seem to go off in all sorts of little different directions, and they're all kind of twisted up in your thinking. There's some noodly stuff here when you start to think about guidance, because the, the question we're figuring out and wanting to know is, look, what, what is God's will? What does he want me to do? But stop and think about God's will, and even this psalm hints it's, it's complicated. It's kind of noodly. This psalm seems to hint, look, God's already decided what's going to happen and how everything is going to pan out in the end. I can't change that. I'm not responsible for that. God decides that. But it it also suggests that God's will is something I'll learn. I'll participate in. I will need to change. I'm responsible for that. There's things I'll need to do. Which is it? With all the decisions I've got to make, is everything already decided? Or have I got things to figure out? Well, it's both. Told you it's niddly. All those things work together. Uh, One writer says, look, think of God's will in in these kind of two categories. If you can read those on the screen, I've put them up there. Uh, God's will of decree and God's will of desire. Well, think about them those ways. Let me 
Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, God's will of decree, that's, that's a way of speaking about how the Bible describes the way in which God determines, God determines everything that will happen. Because God really is sovereign over everything, everything that happens in some sense happens according to his plan. There'll be all sorts of questions about that. The Bible talks about it in various places, but one verse you might want to look at is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, where, where the Apostle Paul writes this, in him we were also chosen. He's speaking to a church. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Every detail of the universe every detail of your life in some way ordained by God. It's part of his plan. Now that is mind-blowing. But God doesn't tell us how all these details are working. We don't know why certain things happen. You, like me, will have had things that have gone on in your life that just leave you baffled, pondering why it went that way. I was thinking about this and reminded of a time once I was on the way to a job interview and on the way, on the train, I got phone calls back to back. The first was from my sister. She was at hospital with my mum who'd just been diagnosed with fairly aggressive cancer that was going to be the thing that would bring her life to an end. Still on the phone, still on the train. Still processing that, a, fe- a friend phoned and started, without asking how I was, into an angry rant about something they thought I'd done, which I hadn't. The phone call finished, got off the train, my mind was reeling, and I then walked into the interview. It didn't go well. <laughs> it didn't go well. Are oh, you not surprised? And this says, all part of God's plan. Why does he shape life like that? Why do things happen? Well, we could speculate, couldn't we? We could say, we could speculate about ways I might grow or, or was it not the right job? But we don't know definitely. And who knows if the reason was just about me? I'm very self-focused. It's all about me? Probably not. And here's the thing. God doesn't need to tell you everything. Yet this says, not without purpose. In fact, everything will work out according to the purpose of his will and achieve his good end. It's shorthand for saying, God's will of decree, it's shorthand for saying, in every circumstance, God is guiding in unseen ways, even though I walk through the darkest valley. It's what theologians would call God's providence. Hear this, Christian. Providence, God's providence is your hand held in God's hand now, right now, and guiding you in whatever circumstance you are going through. And what about the other side? God's will of desire. Well, That's another way of speaking about the things God has commanded. Things we know God wants us to do. 
to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, to love our neighbors, to, to work and not be lazy, things he speaks to us about in the Bible, to gather together as a church family week by week, to be generous, to have respect for the elderly, to be faithful in marriage and pure in singleness. Well, God's will of desire is shorthand for saying God guides us in life through his revealed commands. He, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. He speaks to me through his word and, and calls me to follow him in the right paths he put before us. I suppose one part of the Bible that gets close to expressing those, those two ideas side by side, you, you'd find it in Deuteronomy at the, the end of a long speech by Moses where he's talking to the people about the way God has been speaking to them and giving them his word, and he says this to them, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. God doesn't tell us everything. He doesn't tell us everything that he's doing, even with us. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of his law. So here's the question. Does God have a for you and me, does God have a secret detailed plan for our lives that he expects us to work out and live? Does he have a secret detailed plan for your life that he expects you to work out? Uh, well, the answer seems to be, well, look, yes. Yes, he does have a secret detailed plan for our lives and every life. He's sovereign. He knows everything. But no, he doesn't tell us all about all those details. And he doesn't burden us with having to know all those things or work all those things out. You might have a question about that at some point. But what he has done is telling you the big picture of where he's taking you. He shows you in his word the way he wants you to live, trusting him in right ways. And then he tells us, as you do that, be assured. He will work all things according to his sovereign plan. Now, what difference? What difference will thinking about guidance this way make? What difference will it make to us as we begin to think this way about a God who's sovereign and purposeful in guidance? Well, two things. Here's two things to think about. First of all, instead of guidance being primarily something you're anxiously trying to get, it'll be something that leads you to worship God. I don't know the situation each of you are in, but as you, as you begin to think about guidance this way, it, it will change it from being something you're just, I've got to get this. I'm anxious to find it into something that leads you to worship God. I mean, Psalm 23 is all about guidance. And yet it doesn't ask for any specific details. It's worship of a God who knows and guides sovereignly towards the future. See, man, a God who can guide like this, what is he like? Well, he's eternal. He stands outside of time and he knows the, the end from the beginning. It's all present to him. He sees it all. He's omniscient, that word that's used to describe. He knows everything, every detail of every life, of everything in the universe. He knows it all. And he knows how to work everything together. He's omnipotent. 
He has the power to achieve all he knows and plans. You, you begin to comprehend a God like that. And he will blow your mind. And even before you ask him for any details, you need to bow and worship before him. And that's one thing. And I think the other thing is, you begin to live life less scared. Uh, we probably vary on the scale of those kind of anxious thoughts that we have. But that's David's experience, isn't it? Verse 4, if you've got it there in front of you. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And does the future feel scary? Have you got decisions coming up to make? Is there big things in your mind you're not sure about? More than you knowing the details of what lies ahead, Psalm 23 says, knowing the God who has planned those details for his own good purpose is what we all need. Now, here's the last thing. Just as we come to the end of it for this evening, you might say, well, that's all very well, but this is poetry. Poetry doesn't help me with decisions. I've got decisions to make, and Poetry is all very good, but can we really know God like this? The way David describes God, and the way this psalm begins with those words, the Lord is my shepherd. That word, Lord, I'm sure many of you know. That's, in the Bible, that's the covenant name for God. It's the name God takes for himself as he, he makes a covenant promise with his people to, to be their God and for them to be his people. And David is saying, look, God has made a covenant to his people where he says, even in the darkest place of life, I'll always walk with you. I'll be the shepherd. I'll walk through it with you. And if you're skeptical in any way, you think, come on. Come on. How can God go through the darkest valleys with me? How can he really do that? You read on in the Bible, if you come to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, you'll find a story there where Jesus Christ sees a crowd of people and he describes them. Well, he describes them as sheep without a shepherd and he begins to teach them. And as he's doing that, he makes them sit down and Mark records for us on the green grass green pastures that are there. And then after he's been teaching them for a while, shepherding in that way, he prepares a meal for them. Over 5,000 of them. It's like he, he lays a table for them. And he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he, they passed it out to the crowd. And it all sounds like Psalm 23 and you begin to think, who is this shepherd who's doing that? But there's more than that. Because you read on in Mark's gospel and you get to chapter 14 and the night before Jesus went to the cross, he laid, he laid another table and almost in the same words again, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body broken for you. And it, the point is this. Jesus Christ is the covenant shepherd of Psalm 23. And the reason 
The reason you and I can trust him when he says, I'll walk with you through the darkest valleys of life is because he's already done that for you. When he died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, to be the one who can guarantee he will bring us home one day and will be able to lay a table for us in that way, secure and safe. God in Jesus guides us sovereignly, purposefully, and graciously. And he's the one we're to trust. That's where we're going to begin over the next few weeks. Turning our heads, not just to details of what we need guidance for, but to keep our minds, our hearts, directed towards the God who guides. Let's pause to pray, and then Steve will lead us on in our service. Our dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the way you present yourself to us in the Bible. Thank you, you are the covenant shepherd. It's promised always to guide us. We, we often feel it's, it's us that is desperate to be guided and you are slow. And yet the Bible speaks to us that it's the other way around. Uh, please would you help us uh, to trust you as you guide us. And as we think about these things over the next few weeks, speak to us in more detail about the way you guide And we ask it in your name. Amen.